0: This is The Law School Show. Discovering the person behind the resume. Bringing you their stories and their tips on how to succeed in your legal career. Catch it all here,
1: right now, on The Law School Show.
0: Hi everyone. In this episode, I talk with Sari De La Motte, the CEO of Forte, based in Portland, Oregon. Sari doesn't have a law degree and was never a lawyer, but her work in nonverbal communication has made her a value consultant for the attorneys, government, and corporations in the United States. In this informative episode, I chat with her about the importance of nonverbal communication, both in the courtroom and for those who are preparing articling applications at the job interview. Hope you enjoy this episode. So, uh, right. tell us about yourself without talking about communication or music.
1: Without talking about those things? Yes. Let's see. I am very outspoken. I am very honest. Um, I'm very bold. So those pretty much kind of came into play when I started my company. Um, um, So that's basically my personality. I was the kid that was always getting in trouble at school for doing things they weren't supposed to be doing.
0: Was there anything specific that happened or...
1: Oh, you know, I went to a Christian school growing up, and so nothing too crazy, but, you know, I'd order pizza and have it delivered, you know, from phones you weren't supposed to be using, or, Uh you know, one time they had me... Um, as a, uh, one of the items they were discussing at the school board meeting, and my dad was a school board member, so he didn't love that, that his daughter was on the list of things to be discussing. But I've always kind of done things my own way. I've never really had a boss. Uh, I've had, you know, little jobs here and there in college and high school, but been an entrepreneur pretty much my entire life.
0: Wonderful. And so you have a background as a classical pianist. Now, how, do. Did, how did you go from performing music to coaching about nonverbal communications?
1: Well, it's kind of a long story, so I'll try to tell the short version, but I have a bachelor's in music education and I have a master's in teaching. And as I was getting my master's, I was going to go on and get a doctorate to be able to teach at the college level. And at that time, my mentor suggested that I take a nonverbal communication training course, and it was a week long, and I didn't have time to do it. I didn't want to do it. I didn't know why I needed to do it, but my, you know, you do what your mentor tells you to do, and uh, she was very big on we teach who we are, and so she really believed that teachers not only need, need to know their content, but they have to really know themselves and how they come across, and so she thought this would be good for me to do. So I went to the training, and I was expecting what most people now expect in our trainings, when they hear it's about nonverbal communication, you know, the body language stuff, you know, someone is blinking, it means they're lying or, you know, any, any of that kind of nonsense. And it was absolutely the opposite. It was all about how do you show up in life? What messages are you sending? And I was just hooked. And so I took that into my own teaching and then I started teaching other teachers how to be better communicators. And then I started working in the school system and helping other teachers be better communicators. And then, That um, got pretty well-known, and corporate people started asking me to do some training for them, and I started working with Nike and other people. And then the um, local newspaper here did a story on me, and a lawyer called and said, I wonder if you can adapt this to the legal field. And I thought, well, I don't see why not. It's all the same. It just the context that changes. And here I am 15 years later, and now about 90% of my work is with trial attorneys.
0: Now. You have your own communications firm called Forte. Why did you decide to start your own business?
1: Well, as I said, I've been an entrepreneur my entire life, and I really didn't see anyone doing the same kind of thing that I was doing. It wasn't like I decided, you know, hey, I want to now be in communications and let me go out and, you know, try to find a job with someone doing this work. I I don't take direction well. (laughs) So I wanted to do my own thing. I wanted to create my own thing. And not to mention, as, as we just said, I had two degrees in music. There was no real reason why I would be qualified to do the work that I'm doing now. And so I decided just to strike out on my own and see if I could do this. And as I gained more experience, uh, working with clients and doing this work, uh, I just have now grown my business to the size that it is today.
0: Now, I have to ask, why the name Forte?
1: Well, as you might imagine, it's a musical term, but what I liked about it, we used to be called nonverbal solutions, and my first admin, after a few years working with me, said, "Uh, that sounds like a cleaning product. (laughs) She (laughs) was was right. Not to mention that solutions connoted that we work with problem communicators, and we found that really the clients that we were drawing weren't people who were struggling with communication. They were people that were already really excellent but wanted to take it to the next level. So I loved the word forte because it means big and loud in music, but it also means what you're good at, you know, your forte. And so I I was kind of a nod to my musical background, but also to this idea that now what we're really doing is helping people realize their potential.
0: You have a lot of, attorneys as clients and so what sorts of specific expertise does your attorney clients look for from you and why?
1: So we only work with trial attorneys uh, meaning Forte as our company works with all types of attorneys if you're looking to better relationships with your clients and so on and so forth but my particular consulting work is only with trial attorneys and uh, attorneys preparing for trial and when I say that to people, people are always amazed because as we know, so many uh so few, I should say, attorneys even go to trial these days. Mm-hmm. Uh because so many cases settle. And So people say, "How do you even have work?" And I said, "Well, that's why I have work because they haven't been to trial in two or three years and here a big trial is coming up and they don't know what to do." So, most of my work with my trial attorneys revolves around helping them communicate with jurors. So we specialize, we say, in helping attorneys communicate with jurors. I feel like a lot of that gets trained out of the attorney in law school. So you're learning a lot about the law and you're learning a lot about how to focus your arguments, but we forget the human element. And so an attorney will come in with their opening or with just with their case file and just they've been living and breathing this case for months. And then they just kind of Bring it all in, and it's too complex, it's too confusing. And what I do is help them get at the core of what they're trying to communicate, and then help them put that opening together and that voidir together. And then we actually go through and we we work it out non verbally of how to deliver an uh, opening statement, how to conduct a voidir so that you can connect at the right level with the jury that's right in front of you.
0: I, I like how you mentioned that even in the U.S., it seems to me that there's less and less trials because I just took trial advocacy last month and the we had a lawyer as the professor and he mentioned how he only does maybe two trials every five years or so and that's actually considered pretty uh, frequent in Canada. So I think what you're talking about is actually also relevant up here. Now, as law students and lawyers, we do spend a lot of time perfecting our the content of our arguments, so we spend a lot of time drafting pleadings and preparing our legal arguments. So then, why is non-legal, uh, non-verbal, sorry, non-verbal communication so important?
1: Well, we teach here that there are three components to any excellent message. The first is content, like you mentioned. So you've got to have good content. We're not saying you don't or that the content doesn't matter. Of course it does. Uh, But the content is only one piece. The second piece is the delivery. How are you getting that content across? Because I'm going to assume in a legal courtroom that both attorneys, now not this is not always the case, but assuming that it is the case, both attorneys, one for each side, has their content down. They've got a plausible argument for why things went down the way they did. It really is then going to come down to the delivery, how they get it across. Jurors are looking for a leader, and that is communicated non-verbally your credibility your authority your likability all of those things get communicated non-verbally that doesn't get communicated through your content and not only that we've got the third piece which is the reception piece which is how was my message received because you're always fine-tuning it it's not like you just have your content and you deliver it as you're delivering it, you're watching your audience. And again, they're betraying what they think and feel non-verbally. And then you can adjust your message as you're delivering it to make sure that it really lands, really sticks. Again, content is huge. And a lot of part of content is also nonverbal in that if it's too jargony, if you're using too much legalese, if you're speaking too quickly, content in itself can be very nonverbal in terms of the words you choose and those types of things but really we know the research shows that people are drawn more to how something is portrayed or communicated nonverbally more than the actual message itself so that's why i think the nonverbal piece is huge and we tend to overlook it because we communicate nonverbally all the time and we just you know don't really think about it most people never videotape themselves they never see the weird things that they're doing that potentially are getting in their way so on and so forth
0: and so um then When lawyers ask you for help in the courtroom, what would be the number one issue that you've been asked to deal with, with regards to their nonverbal communication?
1: You know, it's funny. They don't come and they don't ask for nonverbal help. Meaning nobody wakes up in the morning and says, you know what I need? I need nonverbal communication Hmm. training. (laughs) (laughs) Instead, what they tend to think is there's something wrong with their content or they're not sure how to say this certain thing. And again, you guys, you lawyers are all always in your heads and always thinking it's a content issue. And so they come to me and I tell them I either work with them on their content or I say your content's fine. But here's the issue. Uh, you're not doing this or you are doing this other thing and it's getting in your way. And so, so much of what we do at Forte, I think what's so helpful is that it's hard. It's a great question that you asked. It's hard to identify your own nonverbal weakness, so to speak. That's where we come in and we're able to say, All right, you're inadvertently doing this thing, and I don't even re- think you realize you're doing it. And it comes to mind, you know, last weekend we had an opening statement studio. We often do studios here in Portland about every three to four months where we take a group of four to six attorneys and They work with me all day Friday. If it's Wadir studio, we work on our Wadir all day Friday. If it's opening studio, we work on, on opening all day Friday. And then on Saturday, we put them in front of a mock jury and we videotape the whole thing. They get a copy of it, so on and so forth. So we go through that videotape in the afternoon, Saturday after the jury leaves and boy, is that ever illuminating. But one of the things that I noticed that almost every attorney in this last class did was, They acted as if that space they were inhabiting, we talk a lot about a space in our work, was like they didn't have permission to be there. You know, the way they walked into our our mock courtroom, the way that they moved while they were delivering their opening statement, everything communicated, is it okay that I'm here? Hmm. And so we we train our attorneys that you've got to own that space, not in an aggressive way, but in a way that communicates. I'm the leader, I'm going to get you through this, I'm going to show you what happened here, and you're going to be able to make a great decision. You've got to communicate that non-verbally. One of the things I had them do was I said, okay, imagine that this jury is a bunch of people you've invited for dinner. How would you move if that were the case? If this was your home and you were the host or hostess? And boy, that completely changed the way that they moved. I said, that's how you have to move in the courtroom. When you walk, you're not tiptoeing or doing some kind of weird sashaying. I mean, it's just incredible, the weird things that they were doing. You have to move with purpose and determination because even the way you move between your visual and your audience or the various places you're delivering your, your opening, that communicates something to the jury. And you've got to do that with purpose and determination to say, I'm the leader here. You can trust me because that's really what it all comes down to. Wow,
0: that's really interesting. Now, we all know that in both the United States and Canada, our society is becoming more diverse And as a result, our juries are also becoming more diverse and it is possible that uh, different jurors with different cultural backgrounds might react differently to um, situations that might occur. So how are you helping your clients with regards to addressing their nonverbal communication to a more diverse audience?
1: Well, you know, I think, you know, this question has come up a lot, especially in the corporate world, not so much in the legal world, but in the corporate world, we used to get questions all the time about how does this work when you have different types of audiences, different makeup, different diversity, and... My answer there is, look, you could go and you could get, and I have these books on my shelf, you know, the different, uh, what's that one, Shake Hands, Neil or whatever, that, that big, huge book on all the different nonverbal cues of all the different cultures, and you could sit there and you could memorize, I never want to do this in China, I always want to do this in Brazil, um, so on and so forth, so that you never get in trouble nonverbally. There's an easier way and that is to observe the nonverbal behavior of the audience that you're working with now one of the things we talk about is permission permission is really not verbal permission you know do i have your permission to do this thing i'm about to do you know we can't do that as communicators we can't ask our audience for permission we've got to read permission nonverbally we need to read how much receptivity we have to do whatever we're about to do And the number one indicator of permission non-verbally is how someone is breathing. Hmm. Now, the next question becomes, how on earth can I tell Hmm. how my audience is breathing? And it's actually much more simpler than you might think. We know someone is breathing well when their shoulders are down, their head is resting on top of the shoulders. Um, they, If they're speaking like a juror speaking, they are speaking with fluid sentences like I'm right now, taking lots of pauses. And, you know, if they're just sitting still, it, it, it's still versus stiff. In fact, in a lot of my uh, legal audiences, I say, all right, everybody just sit still. And everyone sits there. And I said, now sit, but stiffen up. And you can almost immediately tell something's shifted in the room everybody that head gets really rigid the shoulders go up the movement now becomes frozen and then I asked the whole group I said now what did you have to do to be able to adopt a stiff body position and 99% of the room says I have to hold my breath and I said there you go so when you see that stiff body position that rigid shoulders and the frozen look You know that your audience, regardless of diverse background and regardless of the reason, has stopped breathing. And that means that you've lost permission. And you have to adapt and do something else. So I think it's much easier to read permission than it is to think and put people in boxes, for example. I, I think it's, it's not very helpful to say, okay, we never want to do this with Asian audiences or we always want to do this with African-American audiences. There's just no hard and fast rules there. People are people. And does cultural background come into it? Of course But when you're communicating in the moment this is again where nonverbal intelligence really helps you you can tell whether you've lost permission just simply by breathing which is something that everybody does
0: that is really interesting wow now just changing gears a little bit um, when i went through your website i also noticed that you guys talk a lot about job interviews and Mm -hmm. uh in canada a lot of our second year law students We'll be preparing to apply for articling positions in a few months. So what would, what would be your number one tip for someone who is preparing for a job interview at a firm?
1: Preparing or actually in the interview?
0: Um, preparing.
1: Preparing. Well, you know, I, I think the the issue is in interviews, again you say preparing as a true lawyer would because you guys are all about your content right <laughs> so i'm not, i'm not worried so much about your pre- your preparation for an interview quite frankly david you guys are going to prepare you're going to know The types of things that they're going to ask and the the stock answers and all that kind of thing. I'm going to take you back to nonverbals. It really does come down to how you show up in the interview once you get there. That's going to make all the difference in the world. Because here's the problem with interviewing is a lot of times we do so much preparation and we're so clear on what we're going to say and how we're going to say it. That once we get into that interview, we just launch and it becomes this speech. In fact, I say the same thing about opening statement. Opening statement is, quote unquote, a speech, of course. But we don't want to sound speechy and nothing could be even more true than in an interview. You know, they ask the first question and we just go and we just <laughs> launch all the things that we've repaired instead of it being this great conversation. I think that's the more confident position is that you walk in there and you've got lots of great things to talk about. You, again, own that space, just like we talked about in the courtroom where you're breathing, you feel very in control, like you belong there, not like you're asking for permission to be there, but that you belong there. Because one of the things every, every employer wants to know is not only can you do the job, but can't, do you fit in here? Do you fit in here? And so when you walk in and you appear that you're breathing well, that you're comfortable in your own skin, I can't talk about breathing enough. We talk about it so much. Um, Then you go into conversational mode. So they ask you a question, you answer, you take a pause, maybe you ask them a question and it just becomes this really nice back and forth. I tell you, most people get the job when the interviewer feels like it wasn't an interview so much, but this great conversation that just happened. And again, I can't help but, but point out the similarity between that and Wadir. Same thing, we're questioning our jurors. It should feel like a great conversation that you're facilitating versus a cross-exam, which is what ends up happening a lot of times in Wadir. So Prepare. I have no problem knowing that you guys are going to prepare your content well. But once you get there, breathe, take in the space and make sure to treat it like a conversation versus a rehearsed monologue.
0: I'm just going to pick up on one of the points you just mentioned. So you mentioned that you should own the space you're in. And I have a really pra- like specific question about that. Since a lot of our students who are interviewing at firms, they're typically going to be at like a boardroom setting. And they'll be sitting down at a table with the interviewer. So should that student put their hands on the table or not on the table?
1: Well, you know, that reminds me of a question where uh, I was speaking with Rick Friedman, big trial attorney down here in the States. And uh, I was on a stage with him and somebody asked me a question. They said, how close should I stand to the jury? And I said, Three and a half. Feet. I have no idea how close <laughs> you stand to the jury. The jury will tell you how close they can stand that you can stand to them if you can read permission. I think the same thing is true here in terms of interviewing. Uh, let me let me first step back and talk about when we talk about owning the space. What we're not talking about is being aggressive. So there's there's two there's really three nonverbal spaces I see most people inhabit. One is hiding. Okay. So that's where they are drawing in. They have very small body language. They're really communicating don't hurt me. I don't want to, you know, make an impression. Then all the way over on the other side is aggression. So that's the pushing behavior that I'm the most important person here. Pay attention to me. What we're talking about when we talk about owning the space is confidence. So that's that really middle ground that says, I'm someone that's authoritative and credible, but I'm not pushing myself on you. So I would, you know, a lot of that is is a nonverbal thing in terms of owning the space is this idea that I, I, I tend to think most people kind of walk around with like a nonverbal, one of those, you know, dog collars when you go to the vet and they put it around the dog head, right? We only see right in front of us. So, so much about owning the space is about kind of taking that nonverbal blinders off and bringing the entire space into your awareness so that you're kind of aware what's behind you, what's in front of you, what's above you. And when you do that, it's amazing because the opposite, the person opposite of you can tell how much space you're aware of. This is what makes you feel bigger. This is what we're talking about. We're talking about presence is that you're not just kind of focused straight ahead in this little tiny bubble. You are big because you're thinking of the whole room. So, whether you have your hands on the table or not, I'm not really sure what the perfect answer is there. I think you can still take up a lot of space with hands on your laps. In general, I'd probably put my hands on, on the table. Uh, but again, not in an aggressive pushing way, but in a I'm taking up space way because we know that leaders take up space. They're not pulling in and, and holding and having their, their arms as close as, to their body as they can. So It's not I'm not going to suggest you put your arms on the table to be aggressive, but to take up more space to breathe better and to kind of plant yourself there as this big, safe presence.
0: That's very insightful. Um, Now, just jumping back into about what you do at Forte, you mentioned that you provide workshops for um, attorneys who are able to attend your offices in Portland. If, say, you have other lawyers or attorneys who are out of state or not able to attend, um, what other sorts of um, services would you provide to those clients?
1: Well, we have a variety of things. So the first thing that comes to mind is our online trial college. So this is a six-week course where it's a 90 minutes uh, once a week for six weeks. And the first three classes are on Wadir, how to put your Wadir together, how to Conducted all the nonverbal skills around that. The next three classes are on opening. Here at Forte, we believe Wadir and opening are two sides of a conversation, in that Wadir is where you ask questions, opening is where you answer them, Wadir is where you listen to jurors, opening is where jurors listen to you, and Wadir is where you form the group. And opening is where you lead the group. So the class is designed to show you how to put together and conduct non-verbally both of those things. And you get videos and all kinds of things in addition to me teaching. Now, we currently don't have one on the books, but there is a wait list on our website for Online Trial College. But if you can't wait for that information, we also have Online Trial College Express which is the recorded version of me doing a previous class. And you can get all the content. You won't get all the videos and all the feedback that you get when you're doing it live with me. But that's a way to get the information. Uh, then we have all kinds of other products. There's a video of me calling showing up in court, nonverbal intelligence in trial that you can um, order. There's my uh, book on interviewing that's only 10 bucks, So that's a great steal. We've had people read that book and say they got the job had been interviewing for over a year and got the job the next time, the next interview they had. So there's a lot of resources that way, but we also have for your listeners, if they go to nonverbalforte.com backslash Wadier guide, there is a guide that I put together on how to do your Wadir step by step using an actual case, one here in the United States, $750,000 offer. We want a $4 million verdict it's the actual wadir that we use. And I walk you through it step-by-step. Step. You can download that for free at um, nonverbalforte.com backslash guide. And
0: I'll uh, make sure to have the link to that in the show notes. Well, Correct. sorry. Well, I want to thank you uh, on behalf of our listeners for your time today. Um, there's some very interesting points of information that you gave us to give us to inquire about. And uh, I'm sure to implement some of your advice into my own communication in the future so thank you so much
1: you're welcome thank you david
0: you've just been listening to the law school show you can find all our episodes on itunes stitcher or at our website at thelawschoolshow.com if you liked what you heard like us again on facebook and get the latest updates from the law school show advice right to your earbuds.